Well, good morning, everyone. I have the opportunity once again to bring you God's Word, and I am excited about that. Recently, Eric and I purchased a new home, and we moved into it a couple weeks ago, about a week and a half ago. And before we moved in, there was this great anticipation for our move-in date. It was like, oh, we finally have a house. We finally are moving in. It was, it was just this anticipation. It was building. And that's kind of the story of the season. There's been this anticipation of Christmas. And today on the eve of that Christmas, some of us are feeling the culmination of that anticipation. And as we look back in redemptive history and scripture, we see that there was prophecies of this foretold Messiah. And throughout redemptive history, we see that there was this anticipation of this coming King, this coming Messiah. And we've been looking at that. We've been looking at some of the prophecies. Last week we looked at... Abraham, prophecy, the, the covenant made from God to Abraham and how that was fulfilled in Christ. And today we finish our Advent series on this final week of Advent and looking at a king in the line of David. Now, in 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 16, God makes a covenant with King David. He says, your throne will be established forever. He, he lets him know that that. He will have an offspring. There will be someone from his royal lineage that will sit on the throne forever. Then we look in Luke, what was just read in chapter 126 through 38. The angel Gabriel goes to Mary and says, The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, seeing that this covenant was fulfilled in Christ. But in the middle, there's all of these prophecies about this coming king, this coming Messiah. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of those prophecies. So if you're not there, go ahead and turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. It's also on the back of your bulletins. Now, a little while ago, I was listening to somebody speak. And I was in the audience. And the speaker started off his, his speech with saying... Christ being king rubs me the wrong way. And I was sitting in the audience, and I had a visceral reaction to this. I was, I could feel like this fire welling up in me, and I'm going to tell you, it was like the work of the Holy Spirit for me not to jump up and just like say something. And I went home, and I was very upset. I was just, I was struggling with this. And as I processed this, I realized that I had, had been brought to a crisis point. As I processed it some more, I realized that if you examine the claims of Christ, everybody is brought to a crisis point, no matter where they're at in their faith journey. So what I want to do this morning is I want to walk us through this verse, these, these verses in Isaiah, and I want to bring us to this crisis point, and I want us to process it a little bit. So let me go ahead and pray and ask God to just open up our time and just be with us. Father, we come to you today on this Christmas Eve morning as we get set to celebrate the birth of your son, your Emmanuel. May you teach us the things that we do not know. Holy Spirit, go before us, prepare our hearts to learn from your word. Illuminate your scripture to us. We love you, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at 
the advent of this Davidic king, the character of this Davidic king, and the reign of this Davidic king. And the first thing we see is the advent of this Davidic king. Verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now, Isaiah is writing this. This is a prophecy. This is something that hasn't happened yet, but he writes it with certainty. He's like, this is going to happen. And he says, and the government will be on his shoulders. All authority he will have. And so, first we must come to grips with how. How will this king come to us? And this is the same question that the unwed Mary asked the angel Gabriel in Luke 134. She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And we are told that it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. We also see it's for us a child is born. God would supernaturally enter our world in a natural way to take on our nature to deliver us supernaturally. And this is the heart of the gospel. This is what the gospel is. God gives us himself. That's the gospel. The gospel says that in Genesis, God created the world and it was good. No, it was very good. It was perfect. But sin entered in the world. And that caused a relational gap between us and God. But yet, God did not leave us in that plight. He did not leave us where we were at. Instead, he entered into our world supernaturally through a virgin. And he lived a perfect and righteous life. And he was nailed to the cross by the ones that he came to save. And he died. But he was resurrected. And we put our faith and trust in him. We too are resurrected to eternal life. But that's not the end of the story. Because he's coming back and he will reign. And things will be renewed. And we have a hand in that renewal. It's a gift for to us a child is born. Second, we must come to grips with why. Why would God come to us? It says, to us a son is given. This gift. Why would God want to enter our pain, our suffering, our limitations, our temptations? I mean, I started thinking about this. If it was me, I would just start over. I'd be like, yep, redo, redo button. I'm done. I might even turn my back. I might just send someone else to do it. Yet God does not leave us or forsake us, even though he has every right to do it as the creator of God. One author writes, she says, The incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subjected to sorrow and death, he has nonetheless had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family, life, and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth his while. And I want to make this very clear. This is an, this is an exclusive claim that God entered in our world and took on human flesh and experienced everything that we have experienced. This is exclusive. It's unmatched by any world religion. Because every other religion, every other ism, every other thing says God is out here. He's transcendent. And our God's, and, and, and the God of the Bible is transcendent. Yet he is imminent. He is close. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. And we must address this. We must come to grips with this. We must wrestle with this. But before we do, let's look at the character of this Davidic king. 
Because as we start to develop this crisis point, we see that the claim of the incarnation is big, but then we get this, these character claims of this coming Davidic king. And royalty, especially in ancient times, would take on these lofty titles. And we read, and he will be called, he'll have these characters, he'll be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, the word wonderful is kind of lost in our English language because our language changes so much, but this idea of wonder, he is full of wonder. He's full of wonder. It's kind of like when you say awesome. I mean, I'm from California, so every other word is awesome. And there is a formal way of using it too, by the way. And, but there, it means something. We see he is full of wonder, full of mystery. He's untamed. He's too wonderful to fully comprehend. And it is the embodiment of wisdom. The thing is, Jesus knows you personally, understands you completely, diagnoses you properly, and delivers you completely. He's a wonderful counselor. He's also a mighty God. He has great power and is the sovereign ruler of the universe. We read in Colossians 1, 1, 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. Christ is the agent of creation. He is the creator God. He is the mighty God. We read that he's the everlasting father. Now, this doesn't speak of the first member of the Trinity, the, the, the heavenly father. Instead, it speaks of Christ's ever-present eternal love, care, and protection, as much as an earthly father would to their kids. He is the king that was like a shepherd. He was the sacrificial king that gave his life for his elect. We realize also that he's called the Prince of Peace. He is the one that brings true peace, and we're seeking true peace. We talk about peace, especially this time of year, but he first brings the peace of the renewal of the human heart through the power of the gospel. But one day, he will consummate his kingdom, and he will sit on his throne, and he will rule, and there will be peace throughout the whole earth. And this was a claim. This was a claim of the prophets. The prophets claimed these titles for the coming Messiah. This was the claim of the angel Gabriel to Mary. And this was the claim of Christ during his ministry. He claimed to be king, and he claimed to fulfill these prophecies. He claimed these things for himself. And so we see that this crisis point is becoming more pronounced, because we must deal with these character claims. And we can't maneuver around them for the sake of political correctness or whatever. We have to wrestle with this. But before we do, let's look at one last thing, the reign of the Davidic king. Verse 7 says, of the greatness or the increase of his government, in peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. We see in Christ everlasting peace, perfect justice, and eternal righteousness are established and upheld because he is the perfect and just king. He rules perfectly and justly. Why? Because that's his very nature. And he cannot deny his very nature as God. If he does not rule by his nature, he ceases being the perfect and just God. So he can't do it. That's the only way he knows how to rule, is with perfection and justice. So we have to ask ourselves, how will this all come to pass? We read, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God will see this through its entirety. 
This is a guaranteed rain. Isaiah is saying, listen, this isn't just words. This is, I'm not just telling you this. This is guaranteed. It's going to happen. As the angel Gabriel told Mary in Luke 137, for no word of God will ever fail. If God speaks it, if he says it, it'll happen. Because God cannot lie. And we see that the claim of his rule does not end at Christmas. It continues on forevermore. Daniel 7.14 says, He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So here we stand. I want to frame this for us, because we're going to wrestle with this. So we have this claim, this claim of this coming king, God in the flesh that will be born of a virgin who came and took on our nature, experienced everything that we experienced without sin. Then we see that this coming Messiah would have these lofty characteristics, these things that are unmatched. He's exclusive in excellence, in perfection. And not only that, his reign is a guaranteed reign now and forevermore. These are the claims, and we have to wrestle with this. And this brings us to two crisis points. The first, everyone must deal with this. This is the crisis point of faith. Here's the thing. Listen to me. If you tune me out the whole time, listen to this. Everyone must come to grips with this. Christ is either king or he's a fraud. That's it. That's, that's it. That's what you have to come to grips with. That's the crisis point. Because there's no middle ground here. He's either king because he's, he's making these lofty claims. He's saying, I am the king of the universe. I fulfill these things. Or he's a fraud. The middle ground would say, oh, well, he's a good guy. No, because good people don't lie to millions of people throughout the entire centuries and bamboozle them. He wouldn't be good. He's either king or he's a fraud. And if he's king, we get on our knees and we worship him. And we take him at his word. But maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I don't believe this. I don't think he's king. But maybe you're like Mary. You're like, how will this come to be? But you're open. Well, let me submit something to you for your consideration. I was reading the ancient playwrights used to teach their drama students that they should never introduce a god into their play unless things got really bad and needed to get worked out. I would submit to you that things are really bad. You turn on the news. Things are really bad. And technology, education, and social engineering have not proven to fix things. Can you at least consider, at this time, to introduce God into the scene? Perhaps even your scene. And if you want to explore this, I'd love to talk to you about that. We have prayer partners that would love to talk to you about that. The next crisis point we come to is a crisis point of obedience. And this is where I came to. I came to this crisis point of obedience. You see, I heard the speaker say that Christ being king rubbed him the wrong way, and I was ready to jump out of my seat and yell at this guy in the middle of all these people. Because I've said yes a long time ago that Christ is king. But here's where it comes. Do I really mean that? Am I living it? Am I obedient to my king? I mean, who's sitting on the throne of my heart? And I started wrestling with that. I started thinking, is Christ enough for me? I say he's enough, but am I living it? 
Because if I say yes, and I mean my yes, then my life takes a totally different path. Things change. My paradigm shifts. I see the world differently. If Christ is truly my king, then everything I do is in his service and an act of worship. Everything I say is for the glory of his praise. Everything I have is his by his grace alone. Every choice I made is under his wise counsel. Every person and circumstance that is in my life is there for a purpose that he has called me to. Every day under his rule in his kingdom is better than the day before. Every word of affirmation and validation only matter when they come from him. Every fiber of my being can't wait to be in his presence. If Christ is my king, then I am willing to do everything or anything for the expansion of his kingdom, even losing my life. If Christ is my king, then today, this Christmas Eve, it's not about Santa, elves on the shelves, or parties. It's about celebrating my king now, his reign now and forevermore. For in his first advent, his first coming, he came in weakness in the manger. But in his second coming, he is coming as a powerful king to reign on his throne. And I live in the reality of that power. And there's freedom there. If Christ is my king, everything in my life changes. Everything. And this was the genesis of my crisis point. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say I got it all worked out. Perhaps you're like me. You're like, well, that's, that's a lot of stuff. I don't have it all worked out. But I desire these things. I desire these things. Let me encourage you to wrestle with this claim. Whether it's the, the crisis point of faith or the crisis point of, of obedience. Let's take this claim seriously. I encourage you to do that, especially today as we celebrate the birth of Christ. Wrestle with it to the point where you are forced to make changes in your life and take a side. Because there is no middle ground on this. I'm going to invite you to come back tonight if you want to know more about this, to hear more about this claim. This is big. This has life-altering implications here. And so I pray for you in that. I pray for us in that. And I hope you have a very Merry Christmas. Let me pray. Let me ask God to just bless the rest of our service. Oh, Father, we thank you for revealing yourself to us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ. These claims are lofty. They're so big that our finite minds cannot understand them, Lord. Yet we rest on the knowledge and understanding of who you are as the infinite, powerful, just, and mighty God. The one that loves us so much that you entered our world and understands exactly what we go through. I pray that as we experience the anticipation of the day, that we would cast that at the foot of your cross, Lord Jesus, knowing that you have dealt with it already. May we live a life under your kingly rule, one in obedience, in submission, and freedom to the power of your glory. 
In Jesus' name, amen.